Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning, I want to be honest with you up front. If you know that scripture, if you've seen it before, the most, most important thing, if we go back to that scripture very quickly, please, Nikki, that scripture there, if I'm honest with you, my favorite part of that scripture, and I bet if we did a quick straw poll of which was your favorite part, would be that last part saying, and all these things will be added to you. Am I right? Who loves that part? Anyone? Anyone will say that's their part? Uh, and the rest of you liars. Okay, good. Holy people. Good. Well, if, good. If you're liars, it's a good place to be. Church is a place for liars. So wonderful. But um, anyway, just want to say that that is my favorite part. I love that part. All these things will be added to you. This, let me give you some context of what this is. This is on the back of Jesus' whole Sermon of the Mount, and he's telling, talking to people, actually, don't worry. God will clothe you. God will feed you. God will take care of your needs. He's actually saying to himself again and again, God is telling the people that God, don't trust your ability to make it work. God is your provider, and he'll give you all these things. It's a great promise. I love it. I, I have underlined it. I know it. I'm like, come on, God, all these things. And I try to, sometimes over Christmas time, I try to convince my wife that a DSTV Explorer was all these things. And she said, no. She rebuked me and said, get behind me, Satan, so I don't have a DSTV Explorer. But, sorry, that's just a joke. Relax, everyone. Relax, church. Um, But I want to tell you, this is who God's nature is. God is our provider. He's a provider so much so that he introduced himself to the Israelite nation time and time again with this name. He said, I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. That is who God says he is. His name, one of his names is he is a provider. That is who he is. He's not butler who's there to do our bidding. He's not hard taskmaster standing in judgment over us. He's a father who says, I'm a provider. And he echoes and we end up with that line there saying, all these things will be added to you. This morning, my job is I want you and I to access all these things. Who who wants to access those things? The, all these things, the God providing the needs, God's coming through. I want them, and I want them for you. But here is the problem. I wish it wasn't a problem. I wish I could just tell you, God will give you all these things, and we could go, amen, and walk out. The problem is, that's not the first all in that verse. Let's look at that verse one more time, please, Nikki. One more time. There's another all at the beginning, that all these things fits in at the end as a result of something. It says this, above all else. Possibly not my favorite part, but I wanted to convince you today that it's, good, it's the, one of the greatest parts in the scripture. And I want to help us that this morning, God is wanting to provide. He is wanting to bring miracles into your life. He's wanting to bring breakthrough. But here's the, here's the proviso, is that there's a priority before the provision. As I look at the scripture, there's a priority before the provision. When I look at it, there's a mountain to climb before we see the miracle. As I look at the scripture, I'm just reading scripture plainly to you this morning. There's a pursuit before the breakthrough. If I look at that text, we'll go back. Number one, we're going to start with there's three things I want to help us understand through from this text. That if we are to see all these things, we need to understand what comes first. Everyone ready for that? Let's do this. Number one is that there's a priority that we have to get used to. Number one is there's a priority. As we look at the scripture, it's very simple preaching this morning, but I pray it will help us as we lean into the more of God. The scripture starts with these three words, above all else. Above all else. Now, 
if I'm honest, the above all else, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one here, the, when you say the above all else, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you wake up in the morning? What's the thing that's top of your mind at this season of life? I would be honest that I think most of us would say, above all else, payday must come. Because the 16th of December was a long time ago. On the 16th of December, I was very rich. I was like paying for coffee. It's on me. Don't worry. The 21st of January, I'm going four more days. Four more days. Two-minute noodles never tasted so good. Buttering that toast, the, the butter on the toast is getting thinner and thinner. But four more days. Above all else, if I'm honest for me, I'm just being honest, the top of my thought is going payday. It's the week of payday. You know, last week was a bit of a, uh, this week, it's payday. Four more days. So we're having people for dinner the week after. If you want dinner, don't come this week. It's not going to be good. If I'm honest, maybe that's what you're saying. Or, or maybe for you, it's going this year, above all else, keeping my wife happy, keeping my spouse happy, because happy wife equals happy life. Good New Year's resolution. Maybe you're saying your above all else is this year, I'm going to get healthy. As Virgin Active preached us every year that it's happily ever active, you know. Move from discovery obese and get better. It's a good word for somebody. I don't know. A word from somebody. Somebody right here. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> but I, I want to say that those are not bad things, not terrible things to be thinking. They're natural things. But Jesus is driving deeper here. He's driving at a deeper level. And what we find is actually this verse that is quite famous on the back of taxis, on coffee cups, on Christian calendars that you might have heard before. What, this verse is tacked on at the end of a teaching that Jesus has given, quite a long teaching, that Jesus' main point is this. He's saying again and again and again, don't worry about a thing. No, he wasn't saying that. He said, don't worry. He's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't focus. Don't make that your bubble else. Where are we going to get food? He says, don't worry about where you're going to get clothes. Oh, I don't know. He says, don't worry where you're going to live. Don't worry. He's saying, don't worry about those things. Because he says, I want to take that above all else and give you a new one. A new above all else. Jesus is driving at that. He's actually saying to an anxious and frustrated and nervous and cons- uh, consumed people, it's time to fix your focus. He's speaking to anxious hearts. And I'm preaching this morning to anxious hearts, one of them being my own, saying, would you and I be this year, be the year we fix our focus? What I mean by that is Jesus is directing us to the principle of first the things that come first in our lives. Here's the truth. What you give your attention to first will determine whether you will last. It's a principle that runs through business, runs through marriage, runs through relationship. What you give your attention to first and again and again as a habit will determine whether you last. I'll say it this way maybe. What you worry about Shows me what you're worshiping. Maybe one more way, just in a different slot. What you worry about shows me where you think your provision is coming from. What we are worrying about, what we are consumed with, what is our bubble else? The first thing we wake up in the morning and are consumed with just shows me where I think I am going to get my happiness from, my joy from, my food from, my, my, my security from my identity from what I am putting my worries on. What does he or she think of me? What is the boss going to say? What am I, where am I going to get, how am I going to get the kids through this? Natural worries, but actually if they become the above all else, it shows me where my focus is. 
So what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Do you have anxiety running through your head about, about the day, about your boss, about th- projects at work, natural things? But I want to say, Jesus would ride into your story and he'll say this, fix your focus. What's the first thing you do in your day? Do you pick up like defaults? Just your right hand goes, zoop, picks up the phone, gets on Instagram, flicking, without even noticing. I'm like, how the heck? I've liked four posts. I'm not even awake yet. So it's like this. <laughs> hey, by the lifetime, I'm thinking that, that Fee's not the only one. No, I'm joking. I'm preaching. It's my fault. I'll tell you what actually Jesus would say is fix your focus. Because what we give attention to first, I believe it's natural, but it shows that there's something else driving our priorities. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Your kids, your money, your depression, your loneliness. Jesus would walk in and say, I get it, but fix your focus. Jesus is not sentimental about our worry. He is, sent, he is wanting us at a higher level. Here's what's going on here. When, uh, I went on holiday recently um, with my family, and we went to Mauritius. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? A ginger in Mauritius. It was fantastic. But there was this moment where the incredible beach, the Lux Lamorne Beach, which has got palm trees, white sand, and blue ocean. It's just like stunning. And I, and I, got, I got that photo. And you know, I, you know, I don't know if you know those moments. You, know, you, start, you start thinking, which photo can I post on Instagram? Which one will do well? So I've taken quite a few of myself and Fee and Baby. And you know, I don't know if about you, if you're as similar as me. I took quite a few. There's about 10 or 11. Later that night, you go, nope, not that one. Why is Olivia looking that way? Ah, oh, why is my right eye always squinting? Why do I look so un- why do I look so pale compared to Fee's tan? Get a chain darker, dark. Black and white photos work for Iridians, but anyway, I don't know about you. You know, you, you take ages to select which one. Ah, that was terrible framing. There's someone else in the corner there. Move it across. I did that the same one with with this photo of this beach. I remember taking it, going, "That's brilliant. That's incredible." People are going to be jealous. <laughs> and I remember putting this one up, and I was just like, this is so good. Now, here's the problem with Instagram. It does, this is another sermon on, the, on its own, but it doesn't show the full picture of what's going on. It's the best of the best I've selected. Take it ages to get just perfect. But here's the problem, or the potential, is that I, I had the choice of what I was putting on that, in that frame. Little did you know, behind me on the beach behind me was the public beach, filled with millions of fat, sunburnt Englishmen. And that wouldn't have been a good Instagram photo. That if just to the right, there was a bit of a smelly part of the beach. Just on the left, there was a lot of people that actually wouldn't, wouldn't, would spoil the picture. But I got to choose what was in my frame. I got to choose what part I was focusing on. Here is the understanding for you and I that we have the opportunity. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that it's not important at different stages. But actually, I get the choice to put it what I, what I get to choose in my frame. You and I have the choice every day to choose what is going to be our above all else. Your kids, your financial pressure, your, your relational tension, all those other things, they're not unimportant. But you get to choose, am I going to put them in the frame or am I going to leave them to the side and allow this to dictate where I'm going? Poor analogy, because it falls short at many levels. But I think Jesus was driving at a deeper level. What will be your above all else? Here's the question, what is in your frame that shouldn't be there? What are you allowing into your frame? Who are you allowing into your frame? What, what anxiety, what, what thought process, what, un, what, what thing are you allowing in there again and again to dictate how you go every day? Who is in your frame? What's in your frame that shouldn't be there? You see, according to Scripture, you and I as Christ followers should be the freest people on planet Earth. We should be. Because we've got 
Because the scriptures tell us that, that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Just to let you know that. But here's the, the thought. Is that actually, when you read in scripture, there's a man named Paul, the apostle Paul. And I love this guy because this guy did not have an easy life. When I read scripture, I read again and again, I'm going, wow, this guy, is, compared to my life and my worries and my problems, this guy had like, them like a hundredfold. I would be like, he's like, how's your day? I'm fine. After, you know, when you meet somebody who's had a really tough day, all your problems come into perspective. This guy had tough day after tough day, but kept going. But you could not beat the Apostle Paul. You could not get him down. The reason why, this is what the guys would have said again and again. They said, Paul, because he was preaching the gospel, the guards came and said, actually, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to beat you. And Paul would go, oh, what a joy it would be to be counted worthy for suffering for the name. Come on, bring on the lashes. They're like, this guy's weird. Then they'll say, okay, okay, we won't beat you. We'll put you in prison. And Paul goes, great. I'll then preach to your guards. Yes. Revival will break up in the prison. This is what happened in Paul's life. And they're like, okay, fine. We're going to kill you. And Paul goes, ah, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You could not touch Paul. Why? Because Not because he, didn't, he was some superhuman guy. He had the four, same fallen nature you and I have. He was not some super impressive guy on the natural. But he had fixed his focus. He had got another above all else that was essential in his life. So these things would not encroach on what he had determined his heart to go. Thank you, Brett. He had one singular focus. So much so in Philippians, he said this again and again. This one thing I do. And if I'm honest, too often my heart is this one thing I do is I sulk when things don't go my way. And I'm being honest with you. This very week, this one thing I do, when things don't go my way, I fall into prototype of angry redhead. My wife had to call me to order this week. I'm being honest with you here because actually I realize too often this one thing very quickly, I allow the circumstances to determine my responses because I have not this one thing above all else guarding and going before me. I want to call us into line as Jesus does this morning through his word. Because you see, it's not, what I'm actually saying, this is not a New Year's preach where you, people say, you know, you've got to get your priorities. God, family, kids, business, and go down the line. No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. I'm actually saying, can we have one thing? This one thing, above all else, what is the one thing that's going to drive your heart? Not a new set of priorities. God is saying, actually, would you put above all else? Seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom. What is the above all else that's driving your heart? Because I want to be honest that this is what unbelievers, if you want to know what will attract unbelievers to Jesus Christ in you and I, I believe it will be this question. Why are you not stressed at this moment? Why are you responding this way when everyone else is freaking out about the water crisis? Why are you responding this way when the nation's been given junk status? Why are you responding with, a la- with a, not a lack of concern, but actually not being stressed, not being swayed with what God's called us to when there were cutbacks, when there are tough health moments? Why are you responding this way? Now, I wanted to tell you, God wants to do all these things, but I believe that he's saying, will you get above all else first? It's good preaching. Anyway. I believe we've got to say, I've got a different focus and above all else that frees me from worry. So number one, I want to help us to understand this scripture says, will we align our priority? What's your priority? What is your above all else? Will you make a decision today? Secondly, in the scripture, it tells me that there's not just a priority, there's a new pursuit. It says above all else, seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. It doesn't say just 
rock up and pitch up at church. It's not a New Year's resolution. I'm going to go to church. Now it's a good thing just to be together in a consistent habit because God does things as we gather. But that's not what we're calling for here. The script Jesus doesn't say, above all else, go to church. Listen to someone else preach. Hear someone else's revelation. No, he says, above all else, you seek me. I know, it's exciting. I want to tell you, this is, I really pray you get this. This is not a dead, passionless thing that I'm trying to give to you, that Jesus is trying to calling us into. It's not a new religion. It's not like, let me go through the options. Um, oh, Muslim, that's not really for me. Hindu, uh, no. I'll give Christianity a try. No, no. This is an all or nothing thing where Jesus says, well, you, I'm inviting you to seek me with all your heart. And I love this because C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, the problem is not that your desires are too strong. For many years, I thought, you know, I've got these emotions. You know, m- males, we have these moments of anger or lust or, or greed. I'm like, I just must suppress them. If I suppress them, then like, God will love me more. No, no, C.S. Lewis says, it's not that your anger, your lust, or your greed are too strong. It's that your desire for him is too weak. This is not about suppressing. This is about releasing the true joy that he says, actually, come seek after me and fi- see what you'll find. Here's... What, we, what I'm getting at today is that I believe there's a problem in the local church, and it's in my heart too, a thing called functional atheism. I'm a Christian by what I say, but by the way I respond, I'm actually just as good as the guy who denies Jesus. And I see it in my heart too often. I'm saying, the scriptures, the scriptures go in my heart, I'm saying, no more. No more God. I'm coming after you. This is the understanding. Oh, a friend of mine once told me this. He said this, we live for all our days seeking fortune, seeking fame. But in eternity, none of heaven will know our name. And that, that wrecks me. You know, because this is the understanding. In eternity, Jesus won't come and congratulate you. When you get into eternity, he won't go, well done on your well-planned retirement. Good job. You timed it so well. Your annuity kicked in at just the right time. You had the best last 20 years. Well done, sir. Angels, get the band going. This guy did so well. He's not going to do that. And now again, this is not me bashing on anything. Those are good things. But when they become the ultimate thing that are driving us forward, when it becomes, this is my thing, I've got to just budget just right to get through. If your budget is at the center of your life, get rid of it. He needs to be at the center. He needs to be at the center. I can budget, my, I can budget the generosity of God right out of my life. Where I end up going, this is where God must move and good, good, good. And God get there and say, I did well, I made it through this month. And Jesus said, and me? Partner with me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Budgeting good. Trusting Jesus better. Here, there's a story. John Piper, he tells a story in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, which I must be honest, somebody once gave as a birthday present. I was like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> it's like one of those friends. Was, he has a book, Don't Waste Your Life. Cool. Thanks. But there's a great story in there. He tells a story of this couple who came to him and said, listen, you know, we sold, we've sold up everything and, and, and we, we, we're off. We're off, John. He was like, that's awesome. What are you going to do with all your money? You know what? We've got a passion for like, walking on the beach, my wife and I. And we, we're, gonna, we're going on a, a trip where we're going to go by boat from different ports to different ports and collect shells. Some of you might laugh, but they were deadly serious. Deadly serious. And John said he died inside thinking, can you imagine coming to Almighty God and says, cool, what did you do with your days? Collected shells. Look at our collection. Ah, now if you're a shell collector, wonderful to have you here. 
But here's the thought. I, I, I believe for me, this is the understanding it's in my soul that God is doing. And we've got to allow God to get into these places because the world is warring against us. Everything, let me tell you, everything right now from this moment is moving towards the rubbish dump. From the day you buy your new cell phone, the very next day, that thing's getting older. The very next day, the thing you save up for, I'm going to get it. I can't wait to get it. If that's your bubble, I can't wait to get the iPhone 10. iPhone 11 will be here in five more months. And you'll be like, iPhone 10 is rubbish. Because everything is moving towards the rubbish dump. As soon as you buy that new shirt, it's old. It's getting old. Things depreciate in value very quickly. Can I tell you, this is the, the way of all flesh. We are getting old. You're older than you were when you arrived at 10 a.m. Shocking. You're like, Jesus, this guy preaches revelation. But here's, here's what I think Jesus is driving for us. He says in this passage, if you go in again and read before, what comes before this pinnacle verse, he says, don't waste your life on collecting and hoarding and winning people's praise because the people who applaud you today will boo you tomorrow. The opinion of man that's driving you, if I can just get my boss to like me more, if that's the pursuit of your life, if I can just work extra hours so my boss gives me the, the kudos I deserve, can I tell you, the guys that give you applause today will be booing you tomorrow. The person who knew this best was Jesus. He rides into Jerusalem, the crowd are going, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The next week they go, Barabbas or Jesus, like, ah, Barabbas, crucify him. The same crowd, the same people. Jesus, a man who came and fed the 5,000. Just a few mere weeks later, he was hung on a cross to die alone. Where are your followers? Chowing their leftovers at home. Now, this is what Jesus is not saying, not pointing at anything. He is just driving in our hearts. What's the above all else? What is the pursuit? What is the priority that is burning inside of you? Because if you're going down this lane, you're excluding yourself from the, all these things. You know what? God is, I believe God is calling us to seek, to pursue Him. Come after me. He is, he is hiding. God loves the game hide and seek. I believe it. Now, here's the reality. He's not hiding from you. Maybe you've prayed that prayer before. Where are you, God? Where are you? I promise you God is not hiding from you because the scriptures tell you he is not far from those who call on his name. But I promise you God is sometimes hiding for you to find him. He says, come, come find me. He says, those who seek me will find me. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. This is the promise of the Father. And it's, it's, it's a poor illustration because it falls short at many levels. But the way, when I play with Olivia, my 10-month baby girl, there's a new game we started to play, she started to react well to it now, is that I hide around the corner and she can crawl and I say, Olivia. And she crawls like mad and tries to find where's dad's voice. Now, can I tell you, the aim of the game for me is not to find a hiding place that she'll never find me in. She'll never get this. I'm in the top cupboard, like between some clothes, and Olivia's like, this sucks. The aim of the game is for her to find me. The joy for me is when she and joy finds me, but I make sure there's a pursuit. It falls short of many levels, but God is like that. He says, will you seek me? All who seek me will be filled. He is desiring you. Come after me. He's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you, sir, ma'am. And this is an invitation. Jesus says, seek first. Seek first. It's not an onerous thing. This is not Jesus saying, seek first. It's him saying, seek first. Seek first joy. Seek first me. Seek first peace. Seek first fulfillment. Seek first satisfaction. Come after me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. What an invitation from a loving father. Firstly, 
I said was a new priority, new pursuit. And finally, the third point is there's a person. I love this verse. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, new part to underline and circle. Above all else, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me explain this for you. This scripture, this verse, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is a famous sermon. Uh, some people, a famous speech Jesus gave. They call it the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this group of teaching, Jesus has this moment, the, the pinnacle of it, where he says, actually, in light of all these things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus wasn't. If you read this text, the, the Sermon on the Mount, if you read it as a new moral code, a way of living, let's print it out, let's put it on the wall, and this year I'm going to do everything this sermon says. You're in for one heck of a year, sermon. You're going to get to the end of the year with no hands. <laughs> Just let you know, it's in there. If your hand calls you sin, cut it off. So who's in for that one? You're going to get to the end with no eyes. If your eye calls you sin, gouge it out. You're going to get to the end very tired, very depressed, and going, this thing doesn't work. Because here's the thing. Jesus wasn't riding in to say, actually, I've got a new way of living for you. He was coming to say, I've actually got a new Savior for you. So the pinnacle of the, the sermon wasn't actually so much what he was saying, but who, what he was saying was pointing to himself. Let me tell you, Jesus was declaring in this moment, because he has said again and again in this passage, if you go read the rest of it, he says this, he declares it over people. If your righteousness does not exceed or supersedes the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can have no part of me. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the rock stars of Christianity of the day. They, they in metaphorically, they wore Air Jordans. They were just incredible. They were cool. They, they were like holy, holy men. Think of the holiest guys you can think of, the guys who never do anything wrong. They were those guys in the eyes of the people. And Jesus says, if you can't supersede their righteousness, you're out. Everyone would have gone, ah, oh, that sucks. It's like saying, if anyone here cannot outdrive Tiger Woods, you can't do it. Like, you're joking. And he gives you a pitching wedge. Really? If you're not a golfer, so I apologize. Jesus was doing, he wasn't driving to give us this thing. He was, he was raising the bar so much that we'll come to the end of ourselves and say, actually, I can't seek doing better and becoming a better person because the standard is so high. I need to seek some help. Jesus, will you help me? He was driving us to himself. He wasn't driving us away from him. Go away and work on yourself. He said, no, come to me. Come to me. Come to me and I will, I will be your righteousness. Because here's the truth, and this might be the worst thing for me to say at a church on a Sunday. I think it's the best one. None of us are righteous. If you are here today and think, on my own, I am righteous, I've done it well, here's the sobering truth, and I say to my heart, I am wicked. I am wicked. And, if, and uh, the quicker we can admit to ourselves that we fall short, the quicker we can run to a Savior who does not. And I, I, Jesus was driving us to himself in this text. And here's the, the amazing moment for me, is there's a story that I heard many years ago about a famous art collector in, 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 in London. And he, he had this famed art collection, just with all the masterpieces, all the, all the incredible artists of decades and centuries gone by. And he collected quite a few, paid exorbitant prices for them. And then he died. And, uh, and what he did was he had an auction for these art pieces. And so the art collectors of London flooded there. You know, and, and they got to the door and screamed his widow, so sorry for your loss, where's the auction? They were there because they were going, if we can get a piece of, if I can get one of this guy's pieces, this has been like under lock and key, he, we, I need a piece of this, this, this treasure. 
And, uh, and they sat there, and the, the guy who came with the auctioneer came out and said, and they brought all the pieces out before them, and all the guys started to rub their hands, going, oh, this is going to be a good day. We're leaving here with great pieces, boys. And uh, just before they start the auction, he says, just uh, as we're reading his will, he says these are to be auctioned off. But just to get it out the way, um, there's one piece he wanted to be auctioned off first, and they unveil it, and it's this like a stick man drawing, and it's signed by his four-year-old boy, and, and everyone's like, what the heck? He says, no, this is just a family moment to apologize. This is, um, this is a drawing by his son, uh, a self-portrait of his son, and um, he just said a sentimental value, but he says, we'll start the bidding at, at, at five pounds. Everyone's like, five pounds? Honestly, you're joking. There's like this awkward silence. This guy's going, is this a joke? Should we laugh? What's going on here? And uh, at that moment, uh, a man who employed had worked for this, this, this guy for many years who was there to mourn. He, he, he knew this piece because he, he knew the son and he knew the family. And he said, sentimental for him. So he put his hand up saying, I'll buy it for five pounds. And everyone had a sigh of relief because I thank goodness, get on to the good stuff. And as, as that lot came down, as the, he said, cool, here, yeah, and they signed off. And here's the painting to you. He paid us five pounds. The auctioneer then read the next line of the will and said, actually, Gow the gavel, auctions over, every other piece goes to the man who buys that picture. Because he said this, in my will, it says, whoever buys my son gets everything. Everyone left disappointed that day because they thought they could earn something. But it's a, it's a modern day parable of what Jesus was driving here, was saying, if you get me, you get it all. It might like look and sound like super, uh, silliness. Maybe even today you're going, this sounds very simplistic. Can I tell you that is how simple it is and yet how profound it is. Our simple response is if we go say, my all above all else is going to be him and him alone. All these things come with it. But here's what I believe I'm driving at this morning. Is that Jesus wasn't giving us a formula. He wasn't saying Get your priority plus pursuits plus Jesus equals all these things. Because I believe what Jesus is driving at for you and I is that as we prioritize Jesus, as we pursue him, as we find him and say, I'm not giving him up for anything. I'm not going away for any other pursuit but him alone and his approval alone. I believe that you and I will start to find that Jesus is all these things. That actually in light of Jesus, all these other things are nothing compared to him. You can actually take my food. You can take everything else. I want him. I want him alone because actually when we get him, we realize he is joy abundance. When we get him, he realize he is peace forever. When we get him, we realize he is more than enough all the time, all the time good. That is all we need. And I pray that you and I will get this because this is what I, I believe this morning. That my biggest prayer... To let you know, my prayer every day when I pray about you on the way to, to church, I know in this room that people here need financial breakthrough. I know that. And I'm praying that for you. I know there's people in this room who are hurting bad. It's been a tough end of the year. It's been a tough season for you. I know there's people here who've, who marriages are on, are on, on the tipping points. I'm praying for them. I know there are people here who are, who are needing breakthrough from addiction. And I'm praying for you. But can I be honest? My biggest prayer for us and for you as a church, for you as a person, I'm praying every day, God, would, you, would they get to know you? Would they know you, Jesus? Not a superficial, not a dimly uh, a gl- a glance of someone, not through just my words, but God, Jesus, would you reveal yourself to them? Would they, they themselves put you first and seek you? Because then they'll find joy. Then they'll find meaning. They'll find purpose in this person named Jesus. You see, what happens is there's a priority before your provision. There's a mountain before your miracle. There's a pursuit before your breakthrough, and his name is Jesus. If you want to know what my priority this year is, Jesus. If you want to know my pursuit this year is, Jesus. 
If you want to know what my, the person I'm going after this year is Jesus. It's my, it's my New Year's resolution, and I pray it will be for the rest of my life. I'm going after Jesus, and I will do everything. The Bible tells us, says that a man was searching a field, stumbled over a treasure, sold everything he had so he could buy that treasure. I'm saying, Jesus, my fickle heart that's too easily swayed to other things, I'm going above all else, I want you. And I pray, sir, ma'am, that you and I as a church, we'll start to grip above all else. Say, I want you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. Because when you make your bubble else, when you make Jesus your bubble else, make him your pursuit, you make him the mountain you're going to climb, you make him the, the pursuit. And the, I want to tell you, he is the provision, he is the miracle, he is the breakthrough. On my way to church this morning, listening to an old song by Matt Redman, a good old faithful, as I, most Sundays, I, most Sundays on the way, I listen to the same song. It's not because I'm a man of ritual or, or anything like that. It's just because every week, play the song that pumps out to when my wife and baby are on the car. Pump the volume, which is just a declaration of what God's heart is. He's saying this, let my people go. And as I drive to church, I drive past homes that are locked up. And my, in my imagination, I start to saying, God, what's going on in that house? What's going on in that house that people are bound and caught in the grip of addiction and the grip of abuse and pain and insecurity and fear of what is to come? What's going on in that house? And I start to cry most times and say, God, would you let your people go? Would you let your people go? And I pray and I say, God, would you bring them to our church today? And the reason I pray that is not so that we fill up the seats. I pray that not so that we have a great sermon so that I get more people to preach to or Brett gets more people to preach to or we have more people in our congregation. No, the reason I pray that is so that they may find Jesus. And I pray, I always go, God, if, if, if you brought in that person that I knew was so far from you, what would I want them to hear at this church? I want them to hear above all else, find Jesus. Find Jesus. He wants you. He's seeking after you. Will you find Jesus? Can we stand to our feet, please? I want to pray for us this morning. But before I do that, I want to read a psalm over us. And if you, if you don't mind, if you can close your eyes. I pray that this psalm, as, as I've started to read it in the last little while, just as, and I've read it many times, but just in the last couple of days, started to leap in my heart afresh. Psalm 27. Verse 1 to 4 says this. It's my prayer for us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. Father, I pray for us. I pray for us people, imperfect, imperfect people. But God, we yield right now our imperfections, our desires. Our habits, our thought life, our actions, God, as a people, we yield them to you and we say, above all else, I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these things will be added. But I thank you, Father God, today we are acknowledging there's a priority before the provision. There's a mountain before the miracle. There's a pursuit before the breakthrough. 
And all of those look like Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father God, for myself and all my friends today that the, the new above all else would start to shift into place. A new above all else. The first thing that go, first way our minds go in the morning, the first way we respond in tough situations, the first desire in our hearts would become above all else. If that's you, can you just raise your hands to him in this moment if you're asking God that? This is one of the best prayers you can pray. If you want to know, is this a, is this a good thing to ask? Absolutely. It's a dangerous prayer to ask. Because sometimes he'll remove scaffolding that you've been leaning on. Sometimes he will remove negative things and negative relationships so that you lean on him alone. Father, I pray right now as these hands are lifted as a sign and a symbol, saying, I want you to be my above all things. I thank you, Father God, that you're doing that in our hearts. I thank you, God, that this above all things does not stop at the end of a sermon. It actually starts now as new priorities, new pursuits, as you, Jesus, become the all in all for us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, you're doing this in our hearts. We love you. We honor you. Above all else, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you.